Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi, and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And this is episode 87. And today we're really excited um, to talk to Dr. Alice Kirby. And um, she feels like a bit of a find for us because when we connected and I found out a bit about how what she works with it's a lot about what Mandy and I have been thinking about recently um you know as women as sober women and as you know trying to make sense of kind of how we feel in the craziness of the world so we're really super excited to talk to her today and um Dr Alice is a doctor of physical therapy she's a health consultant a holistic health practitioner and a somatic experiencing practitioner in training and she uses her decades of experience and training to focus on the stress response from the automatic autonomic nervous system and physiological perspective so from what I understand that's kind of body up right it's uh, yes it's rather than we try and fix everything in our minds you're like going no 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 let's start somewhere else is that is that right Yes, that's a good description. It's um, somatic experiencing. A lot of people may not have heard of it. It's work developed by Dr. Peter Levine, and it's a form of trauma resolution and also works with chronic stress. Um, And so, yes, it's what's known as a bottom-up therapy, or sometimes we'll talk about it as like healing from the inside out because it truly is and really works with noticing what's happening in your body and, and healing some of the past patterns that may have become stored in the physiology where we'll have these these automatic nervous system responses that we may not even be aware of that are leading us to continue down paths that may not be the most helpful for us. Yeah, right. And we're really excited to sort of we'll go, go, do a deep dive into that in in really shortly. Um, but first of all, we wanted to just say hi and check in with each other like we do. So hi, so how are you? You're in San Diego, right? And it's the morning for you. Yes, I am. And it's been, I'm well, thank you for asking. Um, and I'm really excited to be here with you women today. And it's been like four or five days of socked in cloudiness. I live on the coast. I realize this isn't really big news to anyone, but <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to miss the sun because we've been really fogged in. I'm looking out my window over here and it's just gray and gray and gray. Um, but otherwise, you know, I think everything's going well over here. We're starting to come out of the COVID scare. We were talking about that a little bit where people are back out where restaurants are open. Um, and I think there's a little bit of concern. We're going to see another surge, but it's a lot of uncertainty right now, but there is a definite sense of return to normalcy, which feels good. Yeah. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Thanks. Um, got a bit of a headache, a bit tired. <laughs> Because we're laughing because this is just like whenever we do our check-in, Mandy goes, oh, yeah, I'm all right, I've got a bit of a headache, I'm a bit tired. But that's why I was just like, I just perked up when you were like, yeah, you know, repetitive kind of body information about your your stress and anxiety. I was like, hmm, right, I might ask her about my headache and <laughs> my constant fatigue. Um, no, I'm all right, it's boiling hot here, um, so um, as an English person, I'm not managing very well with that. I'll be mo- I'll moan about it and then it'll get cold again and then I'll moan about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so European, isn't it? So English. Yeah. <laughs> and you? Yeah, Kate? I mean I'm 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 okay. Um I met up in a park with my yoga my yoga tribe today. And that was that 
that's the first time I've seen them since you know lockdown even though we do zoom we do it we're doing online zoom and again it was like we're all like like you know like the virtual hug across the two meters sort of you know like soaking each other up and it was just amazing it was just so good to see them and yeah sit out in the park and it just felt like those like incremental shifts to okay we're gonna see we we're gonna be able to meet up properly soon you know hopefully we're gonna be able to have a hug right at some point (laughs) hopefully um but yeah so so I'm good I'm really really hot and I'm a bit jealous of both of you because you're both like yeah I live by the sea and da 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 (laughs) and I'm like we're just gonna go to um into town to Argos and buy a paddling pool but yeah so we are we're so excited to talk to you because not only is Dr Alice a complete sort of badass expert in all of these fields that we think you know can really help us um, as women and as sober people to kind of regulate ourselves and ask better questions but she's also sober too so we're we were wondering if you could tell us a bit about your decision to go alcohol free. Sure. Um, yeah. So I was, I was definitely one of those kind of crash and burn people that really had to, you know, hit my own version of a bottom before I really was able to make the change. Um, and so my drinking was like really progressive. I think like many of us and I went, um, I went back to school when I was 30, I really started school. So you know, and I had this vision, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to do this. So I spent essentially seven years in school in my thirties and got into my, um, my doctorate program for physical therapy. And I think that was sort of a catalyst of just, I was, it was really stressful for me. And I was a decade older than everyone else, almost everyone else. Um, but there was there that's when i really started noticing like huh like my drinking is taking a quite unhealthy turn and i was so miserable and like just really hollowed out inside and i wasn't sleeping i had horrible anxiety um and then you know but i managed to kind of drag myself through all that and but i knew i was really like oh this is this isn't good i knew it wasn't good um but i continued to drink for the next few years after I sort of made my way through school, I had a job. My partner and I ended up moving out here to the West Coast from the Washington, D.C. area where I'm from. And you know, I think eventually it just got to a point where uh, my partner had had enough. And so he, we lived together and he's like, I'm leaving. I can't deal with this. And I think that really was a catalyst that I needed for me to put me in enough pain where I was like, oh, shit. Like I'd known it for a while and I had just started seeing a therapist and I had gone to like some smart recovery meetings. Um, but I just couldn't, I couldn't quit. And it was really scary to be in that place of like really wanting to change. And, you know, I've been able to do any number of kind of difficult things in my life and been okay. I think I'm a relatively sort of strong-willed and focused human, but I could not quit. Um, and so I think for me getting in that like level of pain of really like, oh, wow, this person that I thought was really going to stick it out with me is, has said this behavior, like he just couldn't tolerate it because um, of the effect it was having on him. So yeah, so I actually booked a ticket to Hawaii like two days after that happened because I didn't know what else to do. And tickets are really relatively cheap, um, but it was a snap decision. I had a flexible job and I was like, I need to just go and uh, get some distance. 
And so I did, and um, and I have friends over there. I used to live there, so it was uh, it was a very comforting kind of thing. And I remember just sitting. I did so much crying over there, and I rented this van and like drove around and camped in this van, and you know had bottles of tequila and warm beer and like. But I was just you know I slept on the back seat of the van in my sleeping bag. I was pretty like gross and sad. Um, but I think something quite beautiful in that too. You know, hey, I'm in this gorgeous place, so it's hard to. I think it's a wonderful place to be if you're heartbroken because the, the nature and the beauty of it is so soothing. Um, but I think there is really where I realized like, okay, like this is, this is a big choice point for me in my life. And I was sitting by this river crying and texting one of my friends and, um, and he'd been sober for a long time. And I was like, hey, you know, I think I'm going to die here. I, I don't know how I'm going to come back from this. And I, I wasn't suicidal. I didn't want to kill myself, but I literally did not. I couldn't fathom like how to move forward at that point in my life. And um, he gave just great advice. And, you know, we've been friends for like 20 years. So I really, someone I really trust. And he said, you know, just, just pray to your guides, <laughs> pray to your spirit guides and they'll, uh, you know, and, and you'll get some answers and, and you'll be okay. It's going to be okay. Um, but that really helped, even though I was like, oh, I'm going to pray to my spirit guides. Um, <laughs> but I think I did. I prayed to something, you know, sitting by this river. And then when I came back from Hawaii to kind of put the pieces back together and sort out what I was going to do about my, about my living situation, um, I went to a recovery meeting, a 12-step meeting, like I think three or four days later. And that was the change for me. I haven't had a drink since. Um, so it was, I'm really happy I went. It was a big LGBTQ conference, actually. And I just happened to go. My friend, my sober friend was like, hey, I know this guy who's going to speak at this thing. Just go check it out. And um, and I did. And it was great. I sat in the back. I listened. I heard parts of myself and his story. And I realized there is another way. I had hope. So yeah, that's been almost three years. So it's a way better life. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, well done. It's amazing. Yeah, amazing. So you mentioned smart recovery. That was uh, one way and then going to 12 steps. And I guess, you know, that's the kind of backbone. But in terms of your sort of day-to-day -day practices of kind of keeping you sober and well, what's your sort of self-care toolkit? Mm -hmm. What do you use to kind of look after <laughs> yourself? Sure. It's a great question. Cause I've really, um, I was really actively involved in 12 step recovery for about my first two years. And then just the past year, I've really kind of pulled away and, you know, for not for any, there's no animosity there, but I'm just realizing, um, the more that I talk to other sober women and the more I really listen to myself that, you know, my journey isn't inextricably tied with just doing 12 step recovery. So for me, I do have a community of women, of sober women, and that's incredibly helpful. And I do know them through a 12-step program, but it's it's like a very unofficial kind of meeting and we get together once a week. Yesterday, we all met in the park. I was thinking about that when you were talking about <gasps> your yoga peers and colleagues and so lovely to see each other again after meeting for Zoom for months. Um, but that's been really, really helpful. Um, and so I have them as a touch point and just kind of this grounding sisterhood um, I get out in nature a lot. For me, that's huge. I've been trying to hike at least once, once or twice a week. Um, and just my own spiritual practices, what I can do, I walk on the cliffs by the sea a lot. I do pray kind of, um, I mean, I do gratitude every day. I exchange some gratitude. Um, I don't really meditate. I would really like to say I have a meditation practice, but I, I do some Qigong, um, uh, and I do a lot of, I guess this meditation, as far as the somatic experiencing work goes, where I'm very aware or involved in like what's happening in my own body. And, and 
if I do feel anxious, I try to notice like, okay, what's happening to my body? Is this familiar? Um, <clears throat> and just to really recognize that nothing is permanent. So I'm much better now at pulling back into that observer role. And the, um, the somatic experiencing work has been and continues to be really, really helpful for me as well with sobriety, just because I can feel, I feel really good in my body now. And I, I never did, you know, when I was drinking. And so this is like a whole new way of just being super present and in, in my body, which is, I mean, that's like a drug in itself to walk around present and in your body. It's like, whoa, <laughs> I'm, I'm here. Neat. Like <laughs> what's yeah. around me? This is cool. Yeah, like I get quite, to have this. But yeah, yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot, isn't there? It's like when you plug yeah. in, it's like, ooh, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. know what you mean. I know what you mean. There's a lot, <laughs> a lot there. <laughs> Agreed. And so, not, you know, be it's really. I think we'd really like to talk to you about that, about the, you know, the, obviously somatics and the way you work. Um, how important and is it? Do you think and uh, for women who are sober, that's what that would be one question. Um, and also, we a lot of our chats have been on unpicking shame and trauma. Mm. Um, and we would, you know, how does that segue into that? How do those conversations and those pieces link together with your work? So sober, trauma, shame, body, uh, you know, and, and that mm-hmm. toolkit, really. Yeah, sure. Let me try to come up with an articulate answer for you. Um, I, I think first, first and foremost, I think a lot of the reasons why we start, you know, drinking in a way that becomes unhealthy or becomes alcoholic or becomes problematic. However you want to look at it. Um, I think a lot of that is because we've really never been taught how to process trauma or how to process anxiety or how to deal with stress. And we, you know, all of us have experienced some kind of trauma, whether it's like trauma with the capital T or trauma with the lowercase T. And I also like to mention that if we have the perception of something traumatic happened to us, particularly as young children, when we don't quite have the the sensibility to like understand a bigger picture of what's happening, um, those things can still really get lodged inside of us. Like say one example I'll use a lot is if you're walking, maybe you're walking home one day as a child and the neighbor's dog is like really big and runs to the fence and it's like, rah, 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 and, um, you know, really scares you and, and you, so you have this fight or flight response and your sympathetic nervous system gets really dialed up and, you know, but you, maybe the, the dog gets really close to you and, and you can't quite run away. Maybe you freeze. Um, and so now as an adult, maybe every time you see that particular breed of dog, you have this high alert response of like, wait, something's wrong. My nervous system now is on high alert. I need to like, get out of here. I need to fight. I need to, uh, freeze. And so those patterns can be wound up in our, like in our trauma physiology or just in our physiology and in our nervous system. And so this work helps us to go in and start like identifying some of what's there in the body. And so with somatic experiencing, we use the language of sensation and really it's not so much about understanding like what emotion we're feeling. Like I feel happy or sad. It's really like what's happening in our physiology. Like when I see that dog and just even telling that story, I can, I like feel like I'm that little kid and that didn't happen to me. It's just an example I use, but I'm, I can feel like my heart kind of getting a little bit here. Yeah, like jumpy in my chest, and I sort of want to do this pulling away movement for in my own head. The dog's over there, and this scenario I've just created. <laughs> I'm now having a physiological response to it, just thinking about it. So even something that small of me as an adult, you know, well grounded woman, like 
having a bit of a response to a story. And so when we multiply that and, and, you know, I think a lot of us as sober women have gone through, you know, bigger traumas and within our lives. And it's because we don't have this ability to, you know, to go in and, and start to touch on them or to be, to have a witness to help us go in and like touch on the trauma and then move into a safe place. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, about this concept of building resources, because it's another really important part of this work. But to finish that original thread, because we don't have the resources to, 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 I guess, deal with that or to manage it or to heal it or to be able to integrate it. I think that's when we start turning to outside substance like alcohol, or maybe it's food for some people or shopping or sex or whatever, but it's like, we're looking for this other thing to help us feel better because we have no clue how to feel better in our own bodies. And so it's easier just to dissociate, you know, get out of our bodies, not be present and numb out. And I think that's a really big piece is why are we drinking like this in the first place? Why is anxiety so prevalent in the first place? Um, and I think it's this last lack of disconnection that we have with our bodies is a big part of it. And I think this, this work brings us more into our bodies because we start noticing, we start noticing sensations. We start becoming really present with what's happening. And as we practice the work, um, and a big part of it and how I typically start with people is this idea of building resources. So are there areas in your body that feel more like you, or can you remember a time when you felt more like yourself? You know, what happens in your body when you, when you think about this time of feeling more like yourself? And then is that whatever that sensation kind of experience is, um, is that something that you're able to call upon or to recall? Like if you are, if we are doing some trauma work or you are experiencing anxiety, instead of just going in and noticing all the like hyper anxiety symptoms or anxiety physiology, then also can we notice, oh, you know, for me, I have a lot of grounding sense in my pelvis. So that's kind of an area I can go to. It feels nice and heavy and just supportive. And it feels like me. Um, so when I get this tight chest anxiety, I'm like, okay, like I can notice this. I'm present. I, I see it. But instead of just going like sinking into the black hole of this like tightness, I'm also present with, ah, there's this other part of me as well that feels well-resourced, that feels like me, that feels, you know, less constricted and more expansive. <clears throat> so I don't know if that answers your question, but there's a lot of talking. Yeah, it me. really does. Sorry, go on, Mand. No, I was just, I mean, because I, you know, my story, I, I have, you know, diagnosed complex PTSD and have had for probably, well, undiagnosed for many, many, many years, but working, you know, with a, psych with a team, psychiatrist, psychologist, uh, EMDR, mm -hmm. um, for about five years. But, you know, dating back to when I was uh, 19. Um, and I think I've got a couple of questions. I think obviously people that have had very traumatic experiences tend to have a lot of shame that comes along like you hold a lot of it that of of blame like you know and that's quite often why people don't seek help because some weird dissociated where you believe that it's your fault and so it's quite difficult to kind of access getting well because you have to love yourself first you know what I mean so it's like when you're like okay well we're going to look at the body and we're going to kind of you know, find those, it's like, well, first of all, I have to like, actually, A, there's kind of the safety issue about anything to do with the body. Mm -hmm. That's, it's like a hurdle. And, and two, there's the kind of, 
well, do I deserve it or not? So I suppose, yeah, how can people, because I'm sure people are listening and they're like, wow, that could really help me. But A, like, how do I, you know, even start to sort of allow myself or my to get reconnected with my body when I have those experiences? It's a great question because I think we're disconnected because we're we're terrified to be in our bodies or or can be when there's that complex PTSD or any kind of more serious trauma. A definitely work with a practitioner. I mean, there's some, you know, some lovely tools and things that that we can do on our own, but you know, I've worked with my practitioner for almost 3 years. I still see her every couple of weeks. It's incredibly helpful to have someone who's trained in these techniques to help guide you through because it's not it's not something where we want to rush in and go to the heart of the trauma. You know, maybe for someone who is really not in their body at all and doesn't feel safe, maybe we start with with just having a little bit of a sense of, you know, maybe your foot or your big toe, something like that. Like, can we start slowly coming in? And that's really where building the resources is so vitally important. That's why in any of the the group work, especially that I do, where I don't have that one-on-one, it's all about building resources. You know, are you able to identify a time when maybe you were a little bit more present and, and maybe you're not, you know, or some people aren't and that's okay too, but there's ways to, there's a concept called titration, uh, with somatic experiencing, which is really just about like very slow changes over a period of time. And that doesn't mean that you have to do the work forever. Um, or anything like that, but it's not about like, let's, it's not like immersion therapy where it's like, let's, you know, sink you in a pool of whatever the trauma was. It's more, how can we slowly, slowly, slowly start to bring you back into a sense of yourself and what things around you, do you have available to you that help with that? Maybe it's going out into nature. Um, you know, maybe it's something in your, your sphere where if you look at, you know, a flower or something, you're able to connect in just a little bit, tiny bit more with your body. And maybe it's just a certain area of your body. And for some people, especially who've experienced sexual trauma, like the pelvis, like they're just disconnected there. Um, you know, I think mine is so, for me, feels so comforting because I was a belly dancer for a lot of years. And so I can, I've got a good sense of that. Um, but for some of my, the women that I work with who have done sexual trauma, I'm not like, go to your pelvis. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause that's just not, that's not it for them, but maybe something else is, you know, maybe, they have a sense of, I don't know, of just like touching the arms and getting a sense of like, this is my body. I'm an adult now. And so it's definitely, you know, there, there are more complex, um, like intricate aspects to doing the work than I would say, like, just try these practices at home and it'll heal your trauma. I mean, that's like foolish. And I would never say that to anyone because it really does help to work with the practitioner. But I think using these techniques with the practitioner can be, um, the life-changing, like I've seen it. Um, so yeah, hopefully that provides something. I think with the shame, it's, oh, you know, it's a complex question, but I think it's starting to notice like how does shame show up in your life and how does that show up in your body? And, and then also starting to help somebody to come into what's called like an active defensive response and to work with them as the adult now, where maybe the, the child couldn't be you know, couldn't respond, couldn't push the attacker away or couldn't, couldn't flee. But as the adult, we can now start to bring that, that part of the nervous system on board, you know, where we can do some boundary work and have them, you know, push and kick and really reclaim their space and their boundaries and really say no and feel what that's like in the physiology. Um, and so that sort of bringing the, the active defensive responses back on board helps a lot with some of that shame. 
Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. And I think it's like, I mean, obviously, that's kind of the, you know, as you say, like big T trauma. And and some people will be listening going, okay, well, that's not my story. But, you know, that, as you say, like life is impactful. And those kind of small T traumas of like daily life, you know, those are all knocking your kind of, you know, your nervous system out of whack. So, yeah, I suppose in that sense, what are the sort of the things that people can do if it's like, okay, well, you know, perhaps I'm not like big T trauma, but I, I, this sounds interesting just to kind of just ground myself and come back to myself a little bit. And so I don't reach for a drink. Um, what would you suggest, I suppose, as a starting point? Sure. Um, again, like start trying to develop resources, whether those are in your, like there's I categorize them into internal and external resources. So I'm working with one woman who has a really high stressful job. And she, she now has this habit where during her work day, you know, she'll shut the computer down and she'll go outside and look at her plants for 10 minutes. And that brings her this nervous system because she, she gets like, I just want to like kill people. And of course she doesn't really, you know, just disclaimer, nobody wants to kill anyone, but she's really angry and frustrated with the people she's working with. So now she'll shut off the computer go outside for 10 minutes, look at her plants, maybe do a little bit of Qigong and it'll calm her nervous system back down to a state where she's not in this hyper fight or flight state. And I think that's what happens for a lot of us is we're in this like really chronic overstimulated sympathetic nervous system response. And um, it's good that we have that response. It's a biological response. If we're being chased by a cheetah or a mountain lion, which is what I worry about a lot, we want to be able to... <laughs> They're out here. We want to be able to run, right? So the sympathetic response is not inherently bad, but when it's in this constant like foot on the gas, we're just, you know, go, go, go. And I can feel myself rev it up even just talking about it. Um, and so ways that we can start to, to like pendulate that also to more of a parasympathetic response, whether that's taking five minutes to go look at plants outside or to just stare out the window. Um, there's a, there's tools called like grounding where, you know, we can just stop and push our feet into the floor. You can try it right now, even as you're, you're sitting and that helps to actually bring on board some of your larger muscle groups of the posterior chain or the back of your body. And that just helps you kind of drop in a little bit. Um, I think anything where we're getting out of this cycling, these cycling thoughts in our head is really beneficial. So it's why I like, um, like body-based moving meditation practices like Qigong, for me, that's much easier than just sitting. And especially if we're at a job where we're sitting, I think sitting meditation isn't always the thing. So if we can do some of these moving meditations, you know, yoga can work really well for people. Um, and even just bringing on board our five senses is one of my favorite little practices I'll lead people through where you can take five minutes and, you know, usually I'll have people close their eyes to start and just notice a little bit of each sense. You know, what are you hearing? What's in the forefront of your hearing? What's further away? Like, what are you smelling? What's close by? What's maybe a lingering smell in the background? What's happening in your mouth with your tongue and your taste and the saliva in there? Um, and then, and then, you know, the tactile sense, is there a breeze on your skin or how do your clothes feel on your skin? Um, and so just going through the act of noticing through the senses. And then when you return to having eyes open to, to do, um, what's called orienting and I'll do it right now. Whenever I talk about it, I always just automatically do it where you kind of just look around your space and let your eyes really be drawn to whatever they're naturally drawn to. 
And so instead of trying to seek something out with your eyes, let things come into your field of vision. Um, And just something as simple as that can really just help us return into the body and get out of the head. And I think for so many of us, that's, um, that's really, really important. And I'm not saying doing that practice is going to solve all of your problems, but it is a really nice thing or a nice little practice to bring into your daily life to get you more in touch with your body and out of the head. And I think that leads to longer changes. And that, that whole thing about, um, you know, the, the, the link with, with sobriety. And I know that, well, one, I realized after I've been sober for a while that underlying it was anxiety and it was an utter revelation to me that if I lie down on the floor five times a day, I don't end up in some kind of narrative. Because I think the other thing about the overthinking is that we end up with stories about ourselves that we get really attached to and behaviours we get really attached to. And the amount of women that we speak to on soap forms who are really, really overthinky. So this whole this body-brain connection is like, you know, if I was to write the steps, right, I'd be like, can we have a step about that, please? Can we make that the first step or something? You know what I mean? Because it's uh-huh. like, it's, it's powerful stuff, isn't it? It's, if you can stop that, if you can ground, come out of fight flight, you're coming out of the space where you're where you're going, I need a drink. Okay, mm-hmm. that's that's got to be fundamental. Gold. Right? Yeah. Gold. Yeah. For me, that was one of the biggest reasons, I think, why – sobriety, I don't want to say it was easy, um, but just it, it really motivated me to want to stay sober because I started being able to access my body, um, which sounds weird. You know, I was a dancer. I've always been really like active and athletic and, you know, climbing mountains and all this stuff. So I have a good sense of my body, but this is different. Like I'm, it's, it is that really that sense of coming inside out. And so having that as part of my early recovery, like working with the trained practitioner and being able to really um, yeah, drop into my body versus just having the thoughts of the mind helped me so much, uh, particularly, I mean, it still does, but particularly when I was in, you know, early sobriety. So how did you find somatic experiencing at the beginning? You know, where, where did that sort of, cause you, you trained as a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm interested in how it kind of entered in. Yeah. Um, it's a great question. And really just by happenstance, I was looking <clears throat> right before I got sober the a couple of weeks, I was really trying to find a therapist to work with because I knew I needed help. And for some reason, I really didn't want to do 12 step recovery at that time. So I was like, okay, let me just talk to someone. And I'd reached out to one lady and then she was like, oh, I'm not in network. And we had an appointment and I'm like, can you please help me find someone who is, I really need help. And so she referred me to this woman who actually lives like within walking distance of, of me, um, in her office, she has like a home office. So that's why I know where she lives. Um, but then she's the one that I've been working with for years and she was a somatic experiencing. She is a somatic experiencing practitioner as well as a LMFT. And I had no idea about it. I'd never heard of it. I had done, um, I'd heard of like somatic work and nervous system work. And I've always really liked the nervous system. Um, part of my coursework in school, we got to dissect brains and like, that was so cool to me to see the corpus callosum and to like look inside the brain. It was like this microcosm of the universe. And so I've always like really wanted to figure out these pieces of, of the nervous system and stress and how it works. And then, um, working with her and having this really felt sense of the work. I was like, this is incredible. This is going to tie all of my work together. Cause before, you know, I went to PT school, I was studying 
um, different kinds of alternative therapies and Chinese medicine and uh, polarity therapy. And I'm like, I've, I had a really a split between like Eastern or alternative medicine and then this heavy like Western medical curriculum I went to. And I really love the SE because for me, that's brought so much together. Um, so really just by luck or chance or, you know, God. Um, yeah. I mean, I have a spiritual belief. I don't always call it God, but something like really intervened, I feel like, to lead me to this work. And after like six months, my practitioner was like, you should just go study this. You you really like it. It seems really well suited to you. I was like, Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you say about that kind of it, the 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 happy sort of marriage of East and West. It's like mm. when you've got that piece, they start talking to each other in a language that that is that they both use. So it's like that shiny neuroscience and the polyvagal theory, and then you realize that the yogis mm-hmm. were talking about it, and that's why it made them feel good. Right? <laughs> they suddenly lowered their reactivity, and it was like not because they're like some spirit. But it's like because their nervous systems were like so well well trained, right? Or something they were like so yeah. in tune with them, and then yeah, they had a lot of resilience space. too. Yeah, that's it. And all of this seems to be, you know, like you were saying, okay, so notice, get resourced, and 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 it's almost like okay, when I when I stimulate my myself in the right way to that, and then I calm myself down, it's like doing exercises isn't it it's building that strength it's building agency I guess yeah building agency is I would think of that's a really nice way to put it Mm. yeah yeah it's fascinating and I suppose um with stuff that's going body well in inwards outwards uh is there an element of like nutrition that comes along with this that kind of I don't know, I guess sort of lo- runs alongside the, the the fact that you're moving away from the head and into the body. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's a good question. I'm sure. I think the the better quality food we put into our body, the better we're going to feel. Um, and, and the probably the easier it's going to be to be present in our bodies the, if we feel better. Um, I think if we're eating, I, I don't know, like a ton of fast food or something, it's just it's harder to be in your body when you, when you feel gross, which I don't know, no offense yeah. to anyone who eats fast food, but that makes me feel pretty gross. So, or even if I eat too much ice cream and I feel gross, I don't feel as good. <laughs> so I don't really want to be like, what's happening to my stomach right now? <laughs> it feels terrible. Yeah, And um, when you, I think when you get sober as well, like I've definitely noticed that I am much more sensitive to food. You know, like when I think about, you know, what the kind of roller coaster I was on of kind of drinking too much, then eating crap and loads of sugar and fat and all the rest of it. And it's like, if I wake up on a Saturday and I have a headache, it's probably because I've been eating salty popcorn. I've had too much salt. I'm like, damn, (laughs) that's not fair. All I had was a bit too much salt. But I'm much more kind of attuned, I suppose, um, to to those. Yeah, I had the... I had a really interesting, someone asked me a question the other day. It was like about, you know, she's kind of sober curious and about kind of giving up, is it forever? And these kind of questions and, you know, that still kind of trying to mull it around. How can I keep it in my life? So we were having kind of a discussion around these things. She was like, well, if you don't drink, then what are your other vices? And I was like, God, people ask me this question all the time. And it's such a strange question because it's like, well, I try not to have any because they don't make me feel good (laughs) like you know so it's kind of a switch of like you know when you get to that point of kind of you know of 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 
positive sobriety, I suppose, and it, it becomes a part of your life in a in a very positive way and very central to your kind of happiness and the anchor. It's like, well, I kind of try not to do things that are going to make me feel bad. Like, you know, everything can be challenging, you know, like phone use or sugar or whatever but it's like those are things I kind of try and work against not like ah that's my little vice you know so it's just like Mm -hmm. it's a different and I think you know what you from coming from your perspective Dr Alice the this like if you are if if you've done some of this work and you know how to regulate yourself when we go to vices it's in the old days, it used probably as some maladaptive form of trying to regulate. But if we're doing a better job of it, when maybe we don't need to or something. Yeah, I think we need to yeah. less when we have that sense of I feel okay in my body. Um, I mean, that being said, mm. I still eat a little bit too much ice cream. <laughs> and popcorn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to have an ice cream later, I think. But, um, <laughs> It's but, not but to it's, the it's, point of like, I need this to feel better. It's more yeah. like, oh, it's summertime. And, you know, I yeah, got, this, I mean, uh, yeah, I can eat a yeah, small bowl. It, yeah, exactly. I guess it's that thing of like, you know, it's like if it's a vice, it's like you're, you're, you're intentionally doing something mm-hmm. that you know is yeah, bad for you. Or something. To, yeah, yeah. To help you like get through the day or something like yeah. that. Um, I think that there is a difference. I, I will say I did smoke for the first year of my sobriety and I've never been a smoker, but I was really into nicotine. <laughs> I was like, this is, this will help me. And it, you know, I think it did. It kept me from drinking. So I think too, if you, if you are sober curious and you feel like you need a replacement thing, just also, you know, hold that that doesn't have to be a forever replacement. Cause maybe you'll yeah. get, you know, kind of get tired of that after a while. And um, yeah I mean yeah. I think that the, the conversation is very much moving towards harm reduction now so you know if you're if you've got a multitude of um, you know things going on like trauma you know mental health issues addiction you know it's like right let's let's deal with them one by one rather than trying to like attack everything at the same time and it's like if yeah if, if smoking stops you using then that's harm reduction Mm -hmm. for a a, you know a temporary period or whatever and so Mm -hmm. I think they're certainly moving towards that in kind of the the academics or sort of ways of looking at things yeah and I think there's that that kind of you know the the perfectionist and the inner critic which seems to be so much part of of so many women's story and sober women's story is the drinking to shut up that that inner critic so Mm. that sort of compassionate more compassionate harm reduction that kind of you know not trying to do all everything at once you know it's again it's that's it's like your pro, your process isn't it it's like okay slowly slowly we might begin with the big toe like we're not gonna yeah. go straight there and we're not going to expect ourselves to because that's traumatic in yeah itself. i love that it's really <laughs> really reassuring Mm. to kind of look at things like that because I think that's part of the thing of why people don't get well is because it's hugely overwhelming and Mm. seems like this huge task that they're never gonna be able to so even for me it's like okay maybe maybe one day you know I will be in my body (laughs) like it's not gonna be today but you know it gives that little hope of like okay I could start with my big toe and that's like Mm. that that's a really kind of reassuring feeling for me for sure Mm-hmm. and so what um yeah I mean how how do you if people want to work with you how do you work and what are your plans and projects for the future 
Sure. Um, I do. So I, I'm most of my consulting work and SE work I do online via Zoom. That's worked out really well. And I have clients all over the world, which is just really cool. It's it's really amazing. Um, and then I have a couple of different ways people work for me. I do group courses. Right now I'm actually doing a little free five-day program. Today's day three of that. So I'll go check in with all of them after this call. Um, and then I'm doing a little four-week, 30-day program starting July 6th that's called Sober and Calm. And it's a nice introduction to some of these techniques. It's group coaching. And we talk a lot about building resources and we do exercises and practices. And you know, on the coaching calls, we go in and talk to everyone. And so that's one way if people are curious and would like more information about this work, I really recommend starting with one of the group programs because it gives you a nice foundation of the work um, and things that you can start doing, even if it's little by little, to just notice maybe when you do feel a little bit more in your body or, or notice when you feel more well-resourced or notice when you feel like yourself, because that's really the gateway in. Um mm is to just pause. That's another thing that I didn't mention. That's just a huge piece of, of what I like to, how I like to work with people is to notice when you, when you feel like yourself, when you feel, you know, quote unquote good and to really pause with those moments. Cause we're so quick just to move on to what's the next problem we can solve. Our brain has this negative bias. We're looking and scanning for, you know, what can we fix? But when you have a cheerful moment or just a moment where, you know, you feel peaceful or maybe you feel empowered, whatever it is that gives you some sense of like, hmm, this is me, you know, or, or even just calm. Like even if you're sitting in your, you know, in your shower is one I'll talk about a lot where you you feel the warm water. And um, so anyway, the, the course works with a lot of those kinds of things. And we dip in a little bit to some of the pendulation of starting to touch some of this um, overactive sympathetic system. And then I do one-on-one -on -one programs with people and then we go deeper in and start doing more of the actual trauma work because um, to create a safe container for that with the one-on-one -on -one work. So, and I also have a podcast if people want to check that out, it's called Beyond the Pink Cloud. And oh. it's a lot of, it started really as like a recovery podcast and it's grown and, and it still is very focused. My focus is, is, with is for sober women, but it's also like, okay, now that we're sober, like what's next, what other tools do we need to really thrive in our lives? And so I interview people from this really broad range. Um, I had this guy on Dr. Neil Barnard who talks about using like the vegan diet to work with things like endometriosis and headaches and he's reversed diabetes and people. And, uh, he was pretty interesting. I'm like, Oh, I'm not a vegan personally, but he made a compelling argument based on research <laughs> for it. Um, I know. I was like, vegan headaches. And then I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, we should probably, yeah, we should. Uh, after that little uh, diversion into <laughs> <laughs> language politics, uh, we should probably uh, finish up. Um, we always finish with a tip of the day and a reason to love sober. So what would be your tip of the day, please? Um, I think that I'm going to re return to what I said earlier, which is really to start noticing when you feel good or when you feel like yourself and to pause for two breaths within, within that and just notice what happens in your body. Um, and I don't know if that's a tip for being sober, but I think it can be. Yeah. 100%. Okay. And what's your reason to love sober? What does that mean exactly? Like love being sober? Yeah. yeah. Um, oh my gosh, I have so many reasons. <laughs> I have so much more energy. I sleep better. I'm a cheerful person. I'm in my body. My relationships are better. Um, yeah, I eat better. 
I feel a hundred million percent better all the time. Yeah, I remember things. I don't have weird encounters with strangers on the street. Uh, yeah, I have so many reasons. I love being sober. It's the best. Mm, that's brilliant. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for talking to us. And um, we'll yeah, thank you so much for having me. That, yeah, so people can find you if if they if you want to if you're interested in finding yeah. out more about somatics, you can uh, yeah do one of the group programs or reach out to um, yeah Dr. Alice and find out a bit more. Um, and if you're immediately concerned about your drinking, just send up a flare. You can contact us at info at lovesober.com. Um, Alcohol Change has agencies of local support in your area and Soberistis has an anonymous Ask the Doctor service. And obviously there's lots of stuff online. So don't feel like you've got a struggle on alone. You are in good company and send up a flare and yeah, and get connected. And we'll see you next week for more chat. <laughs>